Welcome to the Big Hit Podcast, a collaboration between Scottish Fencing and the Fencing Podcast. I'm Sean Walton, and in this episode, my guest is Keith Cook. Keith has been the leading foilist in Scotland for many, many years. Co-founder and lead coach at Fencing Fun, and uh, also at Sal Hollywood, former British champion, member of the British team, and all-round good guy. Hope you enjoy the interview. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Now, here's Keith. Keith, welcome to the Big Hit Podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, let's let's get straight into this then. I mean, most people will know you as the dominant mayor in Scotland over the last couple of decades, or as the charismatic and energetic coach of Fencing Fun in Sal Holyrood, but, uh, but your early years didn't didn't really point to that. Uh, you had a, a few problems as a, as a little one. Yeah, when I was younger, I was actually born deaf, and uh, I was also born with dislocated hips, and I couldn't walk till I was three years old. I, can't, I couldn't actually hear till I was five years old. So I got brought up with a speech impediment. It was uh, quite tough, yeah. When did you lose your speech impediment? Because there's, you know, there's no sign of that now. Oh, it took years and years of uh, going to a speech therapist from from being five years old to about say eleven, uh, just starting uh, high school. Right, and your home life wasn't that great either to to start off. Tell us a bit about that. No, it wasn't at all. My father was a drug addict, domestic violence, alcohol abuse in the house, and it was quite a a disruptive, chaotic background, let's say. Lots of uh, trauma that were, I actually had in my life uh, at that time. And we moved away from my father when I was eight years old. I used to actually live in Stratford-upon-Avon and moved away from Stratford-upon-Avon back up to Edinburgh to be away from my father, actually. And we moved into Edinburgh. And the bit of Edinburgh that you you moved into, maybe maybe wouldn't be everybody's first choice of... Uh... <laughs> Places, places to move. I mean, you, you grew up in you grew up in Pilton in Edinburgh. Um, for those of uh, our listeners that, that don't know what Pilton's like, you, do you want to give us a description of uh, yeah uh, you, of what Pilton's like and, and what it was like growing up there? Yeah, have you seen Trainspotting? Certainly have. Yeah. So unfortunately, it was a bit like that. It was a it's a disadvantaged area of Edinburgh called Pilton, and um, amazing people there. I got brought with lifelong friends and things, but I find it really, really tough. Uh, you had to grow up quite fast. You had to grow up quick-witted. You had to think on your feet. Uh, I built up thousands of hours of speed and agility, uh, running away from people, jumping over <laughs> hedges. I used to play hide-and-seek, Kirby. I used to do a lot of boxing uh, with friends as well and a lot of football. You talk about uh, growing up in Pilton kind of reasonably regularly and why you, you sort of highlight the disadvantages of uh, of Pilton as a, as a place to grow up. You also you do also talk about uh, a lot of the positives and how it's influenced your life. Yeah. Well, I had a dream when I was younger. Um, I didn't want to be a millionaire. I didn't have, I want the Lamborghinis and I didn't be world champion at fencing because I didn't know what fencing was back then. All I wanted was a garden. And in that garden, I wanted a tree. And I wanted to see snow falling in the tree. I wanted to see leaves falling off the tree, but I never knew how I was going to get it. When I looked out my window when I was younger, it was just like a, a concrete jungle, really. And I felt that things could be better, let's say, but I didn't know how they were going to get better. So if I needed something done, I needed to do it and I needed to work harder. What were the positives coming from there? I had lots of friends and we always used to muck around with each other and things, but... 
we also stuck up for each other and we knew uh, what it was like to actually be really close to people. And when it came to setting goals for myself, I was really quite self-motivated because I wanted that garden and I never knew how I was going to get it, really. Your school life as well, that wasn't all straightforward either. Tell us a bit about that because um, I had some challenges there. Yes, in school, I was usually a kid at the back of the class trying to avoid eye contact at all costs with the teacher. I never had that mental toughness to put my hand up in class and ask questions. The reason for that is because I'm dyslexic. I find it hard reading and writing and still do. So I used to muck about in uh, class and I used to use that as a coping strategy for finding things hard. I'd I'd rather muck about than actually deal with the problem that I had in front of me and that's find it hard reading and writing and doing maths but there's certain subjects I did like in school it's like uh, art, craft and design, PE of course I could run run fast, jump high, change direction, I was cocky Um, but I never had a means for me to transfer my skills into a positive direction let's say. When did you find out you were dyslexic? So through primary school, of course, it was finding it tough. Um, I'd rather be kicking a football around and mucking around while still the people were actually reading a book. And when it came to homework, I had my head on the table at home uh, and I just found it so, so hard to actually concentrate. And I didn't find out I was dyslexic or be diagnosed being dyslexic till I was about, say, nine years old. So hard going up to that point? When, when did you find fencing? It's, it's funny, you see, uh, finding fencing. Uh, so my first glimpse of fencing was on my grand's television. Like I said, I was brought up in a disadvantaged area and I was so uh, poor, let's say. We never had a, a TV or a phone in my house. And I remember going to my grand's house and she had a television. And I remember going over to this old television, pressing the button. There was no remotes back then. And um, that was my first fin- uh glimpse of fencing was Star Wars and I thought that's what fencing was seeing Luke Skywalker with this blue neon sword and pressing his button and this blue light comes out and I'm travelling to galaxies far far away fighting enemies all over the galaxy and I said I wanted to be Luke Skywalker so I remember rolling up a paper taping at the end and fencing my grand in uh, our living room and for that moment in time I could forget about the problems I was having at home and at school and I was doing something I really enjoyed. And I realised that it didn't matter that I couldn't read and couldn't write or stayed in a disadvantaged area. I was doing something that I enjoyed. So that was my first glimpse of uh, fencing, let's say. And and when you'd um, stopped hitting your, your grand with a, a rolled up newspaper, um, <laughs> when did you when did you get your hands on, a, on yeah, an actual so metal sword? Talk about chances in life or uh, stumbling into certain uh, opportunities. It was uh, my mum used to take me to uh, church to uh, hope me, hopefully try and calm me down. And the pastor's son stayed next door to this guy who went to a fencing club. And uh, I was chatting away to him, and I was in his house, and they had uh, the three different swords of foil, epi, and saber. I remember picking up the foil, and there was this target on the wall, and I was, and he showed me how to hold the, the pistol grip, and I was hitting this uh, target. And he says, Keith, you should come along to uh, my fencing club. I said, no, that's for posh boys and private schools and things. And the reason why I was saying that is because of the 
vision that I had of what fencing was, see, uh, but also because I was quite scared about the way I spoke, the way I dressed. I wasn't the same as everybody else. And I was quite scared about stepping in my comfort zone of Pilton and going somewhere new and meeting different people. But I remember having this opportunity trying the swords and then going back to my mum and uh, speaking to my mum about it. And mum says, Keith, you have to step out of your comfort zone. So you have to take that leap of faith and you don't know where it will take you in life. And next again day, I went along to school championships and couldn't believe how amazing it was. Everybody were there, they were so friendly and welcoming, wanting me to learn this new sport of fencing. The coach there, a guy called Norrie Miller, was showing me a few moves. He showed me how to attack, how to defend. I got to put some kit on and I got to fence my friend who was in the competition but in between rounds. And I remember just running back home after the competition and said, Mum, I found my sport, it's fencing. And from there, it was, a, it was just an amazing journey, really. But, of course, it all comes with hurdles as well. Uh, my mum could afford one night a week for me to train uh, on a Wednesday night at the Commonwealth Pool. And the Commonwealth Pool is five miles from my house, so it's five miles down, five miles back. And at age 11 years old, I used to run five miles down, five miles back because mum couldn't afford the bus fare. But she could afford one night a week for me to train. But I realised if I wanted to... Uh, achieve something I'm going to have to work hard for it and that was the start of my fencing career let's say so yeah and it, it did really provide you with um with a bit sort of direction in in your life I think it's it's fair to say so uh kind of encourage you to to go into college and then working in the ledger industry and on with your, your fencing career and world-class program your coaching I mean it's all uh it's been a, a big steer in your 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 life I think it would be yeah fair to of say. course it's surrounding me around the right people that have made a positive influence in my life. Uh, I remember someone saying there's two different types of people in the world. There's radiators and gutters. Uh, in a cold day, everyone wants to be beside the radiator because it radiates heat. It's like certain people to radiate encouragement, motivation, want you to be the best you can be. And fortunately, I was around these people that were motivated and encouraging and, of course, radiated to me. And I wanted to develop myself. I wanted to get better. Luckily, I had the motivation to, uh, not many kids, uh, 11 years old, would run five miles to training and uh, do their training and then run back. But I used to turn up there early as well to watch the coach give some lessons. And then I used to try and mimic the lessons uh, when, when I was fencing with the moves that we were doing. But also, when it came to like school life, it showed me that it's okay to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. That's how you learn. And it developed me onto staying on to sixth year. I was putting my hand up in class. I was asking questions. I realised the teachers weren't there to annoy me, but to actually help encourage me and motivate me. And even that side of it started to, I started to realise that it's trying to help the people, some people there to actually help you, not hinder you. And after school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I eventually then went to college uh, to become a, uh, a coach, a PE teacher, active schools coordinator, I don't know, but I wanted to be in the leisure uh, industry. And luckily, I got a job as a leisure centre manager. It took a few years to get to being a leisure centre manager, I must say. Um, but it, 
eventually got through it and got to the top and I was one of the youngest managers in Radisson. And uh, and I've built up, of course, lots of qualifications to be uh, a fencing coach, but uh, I never really had that break. But by luck, the Olympics was awarded to uh, London for 2012. And that was the start, really, of my fencing career, let's say properly, as a, a full-time fencer. Yeah, because you were um, sort of making making moves up the up the British rankings just at the just at the right time when um, funding for British Fencing's world class program was was announced in two thousand and six, and you were amongst the sort of first cohort of fencers taken on to that program, and, and really it was the first time there'd been anything like that in Britain. So, so what was it like being being part of that uh, that sort of groundbreaking bit of performance work in, in British fencing? Yeah, it was quite a. Uh... Bizarre times, really. I uh, luckily enough, I uh, met my wife when I was uh, in when I was twenty three years old, and uh, we had my son Jamie uh, at the time, and I was juggling um, being a lead centre manager. Then I got given this opportunity to be one goal, one vision, one dream of being part of the Olympic squad for 2012. So it was a squad that was actually selected, and we actually had to do fitness testing. We had to do lots of uh, testing, let's say, uh, to make the uh, the squad. And the squad, you had to train down in London. And being a, a young father and uh, juggling everything, I had to make the decision that I had to stop my job and train full time. Of course, this took a lot of commitment and uh, a lot of chatting away to uh, my wife and family, let's say, as well, because... Um, it didn't pay well at all, but my wife said to me, Keith, if you don't take this opportunity, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And I'm so happy I had, like I said, encouraging people around me, but actually to get me to this stage also was yourself, Sean. Uh, I never had, as you well know, individual lessons when fencing until I was uh, in my early 20s. And you seen something in me and you gave me lessons to reach my first uh, senior world championships at 25 years old. <laughs> not, not a kid, and but yeah, it's a, 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 not, quite, uh, not a kid, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and I started to have the opportunity, like you said, lucky timing, because at that time there was funding, and with the funding I was able to fly down to London every Monday, come back every Wednesday for seven years, and I was eating, breathing, sleeping, fencing. But I was away from the family and friends for 165 days a year. But I was going to Shanghai, Seoul, Tokyo, Cuba, Venezuela, Bonn. That was not even half the places I was uh, going to. But we had a structure. We were training four, five hours a day, five days a week. We were going to competitions at weekends. We had a strength and conditioning coach. We had a nutritionist, psychologist. We had a world-class fencing coach, Jemek. We had everything at our fingertips. And in that environment, it's an amazing opportunity. Unfortunately, we, were, we didn't have a full piece sal, let's say, but we did have the opportunity through the Lansdowne Club to, they gave us the club to actually train in full time. I was uh, very fortunate with that. And I stayed with one of my friends, Ed Jeffries. I down I was super suffering, let's say, uh, for uh, a long, long time, <laughs> and uh, really, really good times. They really were. Yeah, obviously, in your your career, 
been a lot of highlights, but quite a lot of those have been as part of um, either Scottish or British teams. Uh, do, you, do you particularly enjoy team fencing? Yeah, I do. Uh, the look at it is uh, one of my uh, greatest moments was I was in the first ever team in Great Britain to medal at a World Cup in Venice in 2009. That feels like an eternity. Uh, yeah, and um, we had to knock out Russia and Italy and we lost to Japan in the final. And it was a great achievement because it was, of course, leading up to 2012 Olympics and everybody kind of didn't rate us as a nation um, because we'd never had much structure, we'd never had much like dedicated like athletes, let's say, that were doing it full time. And this time we, we did. And it was starting to pay off. It started to turn heads. And with Richard and Lawrence doing it indiv- individually, we started to show that we can do it as a team as well. So uh, Venice was my first uh, breakthrough, but also getting a European bronze medal in Zagreb in 2013, just after uh, the Olympics in 2012, was a, a great achievement for me. But I just love how you're working together as a team. You can you have to ride the wave of emotions as well, the highs and the lows. We always talk about how in team fencing, it's a different way of uh, fencing really. Because you don't have to get all the hits. You have to work yeah. together as a team. You have to think about the time element. You have to think about tactics. You have to be accountable for your own actions. Don't apologise if you make a mistake. It's okay. We understand that you've put everything out there. It's not looking at indicators. It's giving it your all. But also, you have to look because your body language can give your opponent energy or it can take it away. So you have to be really, really what's the word, you have to be aware of the way you are acting because you don't want to be that rain cloud in a team because that rain cloud, oh, I just lost that fight, will pass over to the rest of your team and then bring them down. Or you can be that ray of sunshine saying, you can do this and really motivate them. So for me, I would rather be a motivator and have that positive knock-on effect to the rest of the team. Also, I used to be... It used to be quite fast on my feet. I used to be in and out, <laughs> ducking and diving, dodging, weaving. But I've lost that kind of spring in my step right now as well. But yeah, so you all have different areas that you can actually work in a team. I used to be uh, the first one finishing, so uh, the the third man. And then it used to be either uh, Richard f- finishing second last and then Lawrence last. But of course, things change, things adapt as well. But um, it was... Yeah, I loved uh, team fencing in the British team, but also in the Commonwealth team. That's when things turned around again. I was then the the anchor. I was finishing. And uh, I've been to, I think, six, five, six Commonwealths now. And um, they've all been great times. It's been good. Yeah, it'll be six because uh, I remember your first one was uh, your first was my last one in Kuala Lumpur in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, nineteen ninety eight. Wow, it's so long ago. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. It's and that was an amazing time. Uh, KL was just starting to boom as well, and it was when the main uh, the the main Commonwealths were there as well. I think two months after us, so everything was getting geared up for the Commonwealths, and you could see it all the banners up and things, and it was an amazing. I was uh, uh, 17 years old uh, in my first Commonwealth, so it's, uh, it's uh, good memories. Good times. So 
I'm not wishing your competitive career over, and you certainly not said that you'll <laughs> you'll not be competing much. But uh, it's maybe fair to say that you've you've dialed things back a bit over the last year or so. So let's say there's there's not going to be any more big wins coming up, unless you you fancy an outing in veterans fencing later on. Uh, um, but but what would you say were your your career highlights? So my career highlights as. I usually say like it's funny uh, on my emails. I usually uh, former British champion, six uh, six times Commonwealth medalist, European bronze medalist, World Cup medalist, and uh, part of the Great Britain fencing team. And I also say at the bottom, modern Jedi as well. I will get to that. I will get to your modern Jedi claim. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but it's um, when it comes to my career right now. The boys. When I say the boys, it was Marcus, uh, Richard, uh, James, and Ben came to me and they're like, Keith, can we get you out of retirement? Because I was basically retired about three years ago and and I was still keeping fit as well and I was still doing the odd competition here and there and they basically convinced me to come back onto the scene and uh, my first competition back in Cairo, I, I done really well. I made a, a 64 and then lost to Richard 15-13 and he went on and won it and uh, I thought, I, I think I've still got this. But of course, um, if I coach more than I actually train, I'm a coach. I'm not an athlete. And I, for me, it was probably a lucky result, let's say, of being truthful. And when it came to that, it, it gave me the motivation to keep going. But lucky results are class lucky results for a reason. You're not good. They're going to be few and far between. And that's what happened, really. And uh, I was happy to be there with the boys and help them out. Uh, in the teams but I find it hard training being truthful because I didn't have the hours uh, to actually train I coach from 7.30 in the morning till 9.30 at night uh, from fencing fun classes doing morning classes lunchtime classes after school classes and then doing individual lessons as well and going to South Holyrood we train from 7 till 9.30 at night so trying to actually mix in the fencing was really really tough being truthful when it comes to me stepping back or calling it a day, I think you're probably right. I'll probably uh, put my hand up now and say it's probably time for me to keep fit in the gym. I might do the odd one or two fun tournaments, but even so, having a fun tournament, I can't. I can't make it just fun. It has to be competitive. <laughs> you, should, you should see me, me and my son fencing. It's uh, in the club. It's I try and make it as competitive as possible, but. Yeah, I've seen it a few times. It's it's brutal. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, when it comes to veteran fencing, being truthful, I've got to that level, right? Well, the highest level you could basically get, and having a few years out would probably be the best thing for me. But I can't just go straight into veterans fencing. Uh, I'll have to think about that. Let's say, Sean. <laughs> okay, you've got you've got another year or so to uh, make make the decision. Not even that. a year. Not even a year. <laughs> Counting down right, yeah. So you you talked about making that transition from from being a fencer to to becoming a coach. Two of us started fencing fun back in two thousand and ten. Yeah. So coming up for coming up for ten years. Tell us a bit about that that transition. I mean, you said it yourself that when you're coaching more than you train, you're you're a coach, and it uh, and it took a while to sort of make that transition. But but now obviously it's a yeah full time job and yeah keeping you keeping you very busy. Yeah, so I looked at how fencing changed my life uh, into a positive direction 
and I wanted to do the same thing for grassroots. I didn't want to start at elite level and give people lessons that already know how to fence. I wanted to show the sport of fencing to people and open their eyes and uh, see how amazing this sport actually was. Uh, like my first glimpse of fen- metal fencing, not Star Wars. And uh, so we started doing it with plastic swords and plastic uh, masks and chest guards to make it accessible for children and to teach them the core skills but make it really fun and not focus too much on step forward, step back and lunge. This is the way to do it. Uh, But it's also being able to make it dynamic, make it creative, make them be creative as well. Um, Look at problem solving. With that, look at communication skills, being able to chat away to each other. uh, Why is this not going right? What do we need to do? But making it in a fun way. And that's what fencing fun was all about. And being able to develop skills, then when they get to a certain point, then go into Sal Hollywood and then start to a more competitive environment, let's say. And how have you found making that transition from, from fencer to coach? Because not, not all fencers that, that move into coaching make a, make a success of it. What, what, what skills have you had to develop to become a, become a successful coach? But being truthful, I'm, I'm, still, well, I'm still learning. And when it came to first starting it, I was doing it as a bit of fun. I was identifying the different areas that why did we find fencing fun to start with? And then I was putting it into it and then being uh, creative with the session plans. But I didn't really see a, pro- a problem or didn't hinder my performance, let's say. It probably got a bit better uh, for a short period of time when making 16s and just missing out in eights and World Cups and making World Championships for a long time. Uh, and I was still doing this whilst um, competing. And I think the main thing, the the skills I had to work on is the self-confidence of public speaking, let's say. Also being able to be creative and being able to be energetic. Doing lessons is so tough, having to be motivating and encouraging. But you have to build that in and learn how to do it because... I remember the first sessions I was doing, my head was pounding at the end of a session uh, because I had to be so vigilant of everything that was going on around me. I felt like I had to, when you have a newborn baby and you have to be constantly focused on what's going on around you, that's what it was like. And I was having to make sure uh, there wasn't too big a pauses because I didn't want them to be bored. I wanted them to just have as much fun and have the best possible experience of fencing they could have and who knows where it would go for them to bigger and better things hopefully so the skills I had to develop luckily I had good role models yourself as uh, my coach but also (laughs) had uh, Jemek as well so I was able to combine what you were giving me and what Jemek had given me and the different skill sets from being in this environment of lessons, but also the structure of classes and tried to put my own creative twist uh, into it when it came to footwork, technical, tactical elements, uh, my understanding of uh, fencing as well. But also the main thing for me was what don't I know? And of course, it was for me, it was like the blade positioning. It was the way of taking the blade, how to break things down so it make them clearer for the pupils to actually understand. And it took a bit of time. I make mistakes still. I constantly make mistakes, but it means I'm trying. The worrying thing is if I'm 
just being blasé about it and just going, oh, try this. And I want them to make mistakes. I want them to learn from it. And that's for me as well. I want to try and make mistakes and uh, I want to keep trying to develop myself and then that'll have a knock-on effect and help uh, the uh, fencers as well. And of course, our other role is, uh, in the fencing world is, uh, is that a fencing parent? Yeah. <laughs> two young fencers. mentioned Jamie uh, already and of course, your, your littler one, Imogen, also... Making making progress in the sport as well. How how do you find being a fencing parent? Yeah, well, I'm really lucky that they're both in the same sport. First of all, and uh, that I get to spend a lot of time with them if it's coming to my club or being able to just chat away to them, have fun with them. Fencing parent, I give them lessons. I'm probably a bit harsher on them, and it, I'm I'm being it's quite bizarre, really. I, I've never really tried to break it down. Because I have a laugh with them, I chat away. But when it comes to fencing, I say to them, there's no magic wand. Everyone wants to win. They want to get that nice shiny gold medal or trophy. But but in order to get that, you have to work hard. You have to put the hours in, under your belt. It's as simple as that. But you have to do it in a controlled environment where it's purposeful training. So you have to have a goal for yourself for each session. You have to have a structure. And you've seen my sessions, uh, Sean, in the club. Be there by a certain time. You do the the warm-up. You do uh, mobility, do activation, do dynamic warm-up. Then we do speed and agility, coordination. Then we do footwork. And then we have a scenario at the club. And then after the scenario, they can just free fence. But it's about having that structure. And I feel that's important from the kids for adults as well, because that's how you're going to develop and be the best you can be. As a fencing parent, it's a, I think the more the, the signs for me are when they're actually fencing. I'm more jumping around uh, at the side of the piece, quite expressive, let's say. <laughs> uh, I, I find it hard sometimes. I want to be that chilled coach just sitting down, nodding away at a hit or clapping away. But I am quite expressive and uh, the referees know that, but I'm good friends with the referees and uh, hopefully don't take it personally and things like that. <laughs> but I, it, it means a lot to myself and I want them and I want all the kids to like uh, develop and learn as well. When I say learn, when you win, you teach and when you lose, you learn. So I don't want them to always let, uh, win. That is our... Uh, a recipe for disaster, let's say. Because if you know a kid that is always winning, eventually when they do lose, they go, I'm not getting any better. I'm going to quit. And I've seen that over and over and over again. So it's about developing the right questioning, putting them in the right environments. I want them to make mistakes. I want them to push themselves. I want to show them that you, at the right time, develop them by just giving them that little nudge out their comfort zone. For instance... Jamie, uh, my son at uh, the Birmingham. I said, Jamie, I'm going to the Birmingham Open anyway. I said, why don't you come with me uh, last year? And uh, I said, I know this is your second, uh, third ever Open, but this is the biggest one you've been to, Jamie. you really enjoy it. He then goes on and wins the tournament. <laughs> yeah, you invited him along thinking, I can carry my bags and carry on in the final. <laughs> He's no. a water boy. <laughs> <laughs> then the horrible, final... horrible bit of role reversal for you. But, you know, it, it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. uh, what can I say? Yeah, and then I turned out to be the water boy. But, of course, 
makes me proud. This is another bit of advice that I give to all kids and uh, athletes growing up is no matter how high you climb in life, there's going to be people that tell you you can't do this, you can't do that and put you down. Your job is to surround yourself around the right people that will help motivate and encourage you to be the best you can be. Unfortunately, there's going to be somebody that doesn't like your footwork, the way you fence. What to do is forget them, block them out and focus on what you need to do. Don't set your goals by you need to beat somebody in that because that's out of your control. Don't even worry about that. Focus on what's in your control. And that's what, when I was saying to uh, Jamie and Imogen to step out your comfort zone and try something new and be the, be the first one to go out and warm up. Don't be shy. And it's okay to be shy and be quite scared to start with. And eventually, the more, more you put yourself in that environment, the better you're going to get at it. But we can only say these things because we've done them and we've made these mistakes in the past. But our job as coaches now are to make their learning curve faster than it was ours, to tell them to go warm up, to do the speed and agility, to get themselves ready to perform the best they can. And it's I feel it's important to actually create the right culture, the right environment for uh, the kids growing up because they might stay in the sport but we want them to go away having a positive experience in the end of the day no matter what and uh, it's the life skills that can actually develop through sport that will help them in all aspects of life not just in fencing yeah I mean you, you talk there about passing on your experience and help, helping kids to to develop through the sport and as well as the coaching work that you do you've also taken on mentoring and, and speaking in schools as well originally with was it the Champions in Schools programme and, and now under your, your own company, uh, Positive Destinations. So tell us a bit about that. It's uh, rather than speaking to a crowd of fencers and, and telling them how to fence better and how they can improve, what, what do you do when you go into these schools and, and speak to a, a crowd of unfamiliar faces? Yeah, so this was another area I stumbled into uh, and had to develop lots of skills to help share lots of different aspects uh, of my fencing career. And when I say fencing career, there's lots of different learning curves that I've been able to take on board that have helped me in my life personally. So a few charities that I work for, the Dame Kelly Homes Trust, there was the Youth Sports Trust, there's the Champions in Schools programme for the Winning Scotland Foundation. And now I've started my own one called Positive Destination. When I go into schools, I usually chat to the schools about what, why did they want me in, first of all? What was their goal? What was their vision for me to come in? Is there a specific uh, group they want me to work with? Um, is it to build confidence, self-esteem? Is it to, to uh, help work with specific groups like people that are finding school challenging or they've got low attendance or behaviour difficulties? So I then structure the classes for them depending on how many weeks they want it for and how many hours they want it for. And I usually start off with uh, quite a hard-hitting athlete's journey story. We've not got hours on this to actually share it with you, but um, it's to build the rapport with everybody in the in the group and uh, show them that uh, the highs and lows that I've had, but also how vulnerable I've been. But by luck, I've been able to get into something that I loved and how it's been able to change my life. So I talk a lot about the highs and lows and the learning curve that I've had. But from that keynote motivational speech, let's say, I do lots of workshops off there. So I usually talk about 
a thing called the Six Keys to Success that we learned from the Youth Sports Trust. Talked about mental toughness, being able to perform under pressure, hunger to achieve, that it's okay to make mistakes, we all make mistakes. People skills, being able to communicate, being able to talk about your problems, being able to articulate what you're feeling and, and what you want in life. Breaking barriers, doing something for the first time. Uh, sport and life knowledge. For me, sport and life knowledge is about integrity, being honest with yourself and others. Like I said breaking barriers and planning for success. So planning for success is goal setting, really. What do you want? How are you going to get it? And what do you feel you need to do to actually get it? I do lots of workshops, but I bring them to life. How can you bring mental toughness to life? How can you bring breaking barriers, goal setting, and I make it interactive, I make it fun, I make it energetic, and um, I can make a group. Uh, I've I've done an assembly in front of about uh, a thousand people before, and I've done them. I've been able to make it interactive, make it fun. I've, uh, a few of the the people at South Hollywood when I went to their school, they've been able to hear the chat and they've seen me make assemblies of four or five hundred interactive and fun and get the message across about find what you love in life. And if you can find what you love, you'll enjoy it as well. So someone said to me, uh, if you can make your sport, your career, your job, really, you'll never work a day in your life. And luckily I've been able to find that, but it's finding what you love, uh, having a passion for something. There's a saying that someone told me, without purpose, we lack direction and meaning in life. And it's being able to find your purpose, find what you what you really love and go do it and be happy and don't follow the money. If you follow the money, it's a, a slippery slope. It really is because you won't always have it. Well, Keith, it's been great talking to you. Delighted to to give you the chance to share your, your kind of life experiences and uh, your career through fencing and what it's taught you and, and what you can pass on to, to everyone else in the sport. Thanks very much for taking the, the time to, to have this chat. Thanks very much, Sean. Uh, if anybody's interested and they want to see a bit more about uh, my athlete's journey story, if they can uh, go onto the website www.positivedestination.com and they'll be able to see the story, but also some of the things that I actually do as well. I'll make sure that gets a get, put that link in our in our show notes and people can get get a look at that as well. Thanks again, Keith. Thanks, Sean. Cheers. Speak to you again soon.